let's start by asking a question. What would your life look like if you were thoroughly persuaded in the depths of your heart, not only that God loves you, but that He enjoys you? Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, my life probably wouldn't change that much, well then, A, you're wrong, B, you're just not being open to what God wants to show you tonight. I want you to really think about it. That He really enjoys you. Do you get a sense that uh, in Jonah chapter 4, you get a sense of, of God's delight in Jonah? I mean, you, you can't be more wrong than Jonah is. And God's just pouring love out upon him, grace upon grace upon grace. And, you know, Jonah's reluctant in everything that he does. And God is extravagant in everything he does for Jonah. So for me and you, feeling down in the depths of our soul, that God takes pleasure in you. He takes pleasure in you. That when he looks at you, he smiles. That he really does think good thoughts, not thoughts of evil, but thoughts to give you a future and a hope. Really. What would that do? Okay, now let's think about let's think about how much time we invest in trying to ensure that other people like us, that other people respect us, that people uh, think good of us how how much effort and energy do we spend in trying to uh, you know hide the real us you know you don't you don't uh, let people see you with your guard down you don't you feel you know why do we feel vulnerable you know if if somebody uh, just you see, like, what, you just think about in, in our culture how things are so different now. Now, like, there, it's a real no-no in our culture today. Like, you just do not show up at somebody's house unannounced. Now, I do. <laughs> but uh, it's not good. People don't like that. They're, and, and, and it used to not be that way. But now, what changed? How did it used to be? Was it that people were just an open book before or was it that people were always on standby they were always on standby always i mean there's a huge difference between going and and, and visiting somebody who uh, would fall into the say senior adult category or coming to visit somebody who's uh you know of a younger persuasion you know you go visit somebody who's older they get up seven days a week and, you know, their hair is fixed. Seven days a week. And they're running the vacuum, whether it needs it or not, seven days a week or whatever they're doing. And you knock on some younger couple's door and there is panic. Like, they're like, shut the blinds, turn the lights out, act like we're not home. 
You know, like, what are you, like, hiding bodies in there or something? Like, what is the big deal? I mean, I've seen piles of laundry. It's going to be okay. We spend a lot of time trying to make people like us. We spend a lot of time and energy trying to hide the real us. We spend a whole lot of time trying to disguise our shame, trying to, trying to hide our wounds. We don't want to talk about things. We don't want to deal with things. What is that from? Trying to, to craft our public image. It wouldn't be, you know, it would be applicable right now for me to go on a tangent about, you know, all the effort put into the social media profile, but I think I've exhausted that topic for this year. We'll, we'll wait till 2020 to get back on that soapbox. But, you know, it's just ridiculous. You know, we're, every picture that's posted is filtered, and it's just so ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You know, how come nobody on social media shows all their blunders and their bloopers and their stupidity? It's all, you know... And so it, it tells me, and it should tell you, that we're, we're, not, we're not good on, this, on the way God feels about us. Because if we were really secure deep down in our heart about how God loves us and enjoys us, we wouldn't be concerned about what other people think. We just wouldn't, because it wouldn't matter compared to God. But if we're not settled there, we're going to be vulnerable. I think the key that sets us free from our unquenchable thirst for acceptance is coming to a place where we truly understand God's great affection for us. You know, if you think about people who are needy, you think about, you know, I'm, I, I happen to know a lot about broken children. A lot. I can tell you everything you want to know about broken children. They're needy. And they're needy because they haven't been loved and cared for the way they're meant to be. And when that relationship is broken, it takes a long time to, to heal that. And, and they're, they're vulnerable. Like you don't, uh, you know, you, you don't, you have to be careful the way you pick with a, a disconnected, broken child. You, you, you have to, you can't, you can't laugh. Uh, when you laugh, you have to make sure that you're laughing with, not at, because they can't deal with it. Because they're, they're wounded. Look around. It's a world filled with wounded people who are clamoring for acceptance. And why? Why are we clamoring for acceptance? Why do we want to... Look at, look at how we, as a, a people, as a culture, we, we are notorious. Notorious for jumping on whatever is the 
latest, greatest thing. Why? We want to align ourselves with something that, that is good, that is a winner, that is prosperous, that's, because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Something's not right. We should be free from this pressure. Salvation should, should set us free from all of this. But I think most people are in one of two camps. I think most people fall into to, to two categories. Either, A, they fall into the camp that says, well, I don't think that's possible. I don't think it's possible. Well, I don't think it's possible for God to enjoy me and to find delight in me. So it's just not possible. And the other camp is, well, maybe it's possible, but if it is, I don't understand it, and I have no idea how to get there. I don't know how to, I have no idea how to get to a place where I could rest in the confidence that God truly does love me on a 100% non-performance basis. It's a lot easier and simpler to exist in the world we live in, which just says clean yourself up and act better and do better. See, just straighten up. And everything will go fine. The reason you have so many problems is because you're a bonehead. Stop doing stupid things. You know, clean yourself up. Act right. Talk right. Dress right. Have the right disciplines. That's just easier because what everyone wants is just tell me how to do it. And, and that's about everything spiritual in today's culture boils down to that. Every conversation I have, it somehow boils down to that. It's unbelievable. When I have a conversation with people about generosity, it's, it's almost impossible for me to, have a, to teach them anything because all they want to know is one thing. Just tell me what to do. It doesn't work like that. They're like, well, you want, am I supposed to just give 10% of my income? I'll just give 10% of my income. Just tell me what to do. And I'm like, no. Because that's the wrong heart. You're just looking at this thing totally wrong. I'm trying to get you to see. Why don't you look at it and think like, well, What's the opportunity that I have? What can I do? What am I able to do? What a joy. What? But see, we just, we just want a prescription. Just tell me. How, how many days a week do I need to read my Bible to be okay? How long does that time need to be so I can be okay? How many, you know, how, how many times a year can I miss church? How many? Just get me on some kind of a, you know, tell me what the bar is. And see, here's the thing. The, the transformation that I'm talking about, the shift where you can literally walk in day in, day out, resting in God's love for you, that you, you have a consistent understanding of that. So, so what I'm saying is that um, you understand that in your spiritual shopping cart, you have apples and you have oranges, and they're two different things, and they're not the same. And so an apple is God's love for you. You are the apple of his eye. That doesn't change. 
So on your best day, you're the apple of his eye. And on your worst day, you're the apple of his eye. And it never changes. Apples are always apples. Oranges, on the other hand, are different. Oranges are, there are consequences to your behavior. But, they have, but oranges have nothing to do with apples. And so, and so if you, oranges operate in a different category. They operate in a reaping and sowing economy. So oranges operate in the category of if you hit your thumb with a hammer, it hurts. So if you don't want your thumb to hurt anymore, stop hitting it with a hammer. That's oranges. But regardless of how many times you smash your fingers with a hammer, you are still the apple of God's eye. You understand that? But what we do is we make fruit salad. And so we think that if, if things are, if, 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 the, if my thumb hurts, it must be because God's displeased with me. That's wrong. It's theological error. Apples are always apples, oranges are always oranges. And so to make this shift into understanding this so that you could live every day knowing that you're the apple of God's eye. But you have to understand what won't get us there. You know, if you know me, you know I'm a big uh, proponent of uh, self-awareness. I think it's very healthy for us to be self-aware. We should know who we are and how we got that way and how God made us. And I love that. But that's not what I'm talking about tonight. And that won't help you in this endeavor. This is about God-awareness. It is all about God-awareness. Apples are based on God-awareness. Now, if you want to talk about oranges, that's a different... If you come to me and say, Pastor, you got to help me. I don't know why I keep smashing my thumb with a hammer. We need to have some self-awareness conversations. But if we're talking about apples, apples don't have anything to do with you. You, you didn't earn your way to becoming the apple of God's eye. You're not going to earn your way out of it. You didn't have anything to do with it. God made you the apple of His eye. You got that? And you can't do anything about that. So it's God awareness. So think about like uh, how people make bold declarations about about God publicly. What I mean by publicly is, you know, like, you know, you're you're in a small group or you're talking to people or whatever. You you you'll you know you'll you'll have a sticker on your car that says, you know, God's good all the time. And you got t-shirts that say that. You publicly declare that. But privately, you don't really believe that. Most people don't really believe that. What they really believe is that God's good when they're good. And God's not good when they're not good. And what we really believe, based on our behavior, is that we believe that God's really good at making us be really good. Which is just a really messed up version of God.
I think a lot of people are quick to say, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, but do you know God loves me? Do you know when you look in the mirror, do you see somebody looking back at you that God dearly loves? See, I'm not talking about anybody else. Today. I'm talking about you. You. Jonah's really been stretching me in this area. I've really been thinking a lot about this. I've been thinking about how do most Christians find great enjoyment in Christ? You know, I was talking about uh, how pastoring in the Bible Belt comes with many tears. Remember that a few weeks ago? Well, if you don't, it was painful, so forget it. Uh, but think about that. Do most people find great enjoyment in Christ? I mean, like, are they just most excited? You know that it's Sunday? Like, it's just can't wait. Or is it just sort of something that we do? And, and the truth is, like, there's so many other things that bring so much enthusiasm and enjoyment into our lives. And it's... And see, the problem is, it's not really us. You see, the, the problem is our understanding of God. Because if we knew... The God of the Bible, I'm convinced that, that the God of the Bible is completely, 100% irresistible. It's just, it's, it's, it, when you know the God of the Bible the way He wants to be known, it's the most irresistible, compelling thing in the world. Like, that's all I can think about. And it makes me, it, it's like the older I get and the longer that I, I walk in Christ, the more things around me break my heart. I see people just getting so much enjoyment out of things and it makes me sad. Because they're little things. It's just not worthy. They're just not worthy. I mean, it's fine and... I imagine, you know, that it's not like I would hate doing them. I mean, I enjoy doing a lot of things. But really nothing compares. Nothing compares to God. Nothing. It would be horrible for me to feel as if I was compelled in some way to, you know. Someone said something to me uh, over the holiday about, you know, my schedule got all turned around and so I was they had to fly, you know, off and I'm, you know, catching up with my family and this and that. And then so in the course of the conversation, they said, man, I'm just, you know, I hate that you have to preach Sunday. I'm like, what? I don't have to preach Sunday. I get to preach Sunday. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, I'd rather do that than anything. And I really think that at the end of the day, it's because people don't believe Christ 
gets enjoyment in them. He, that he, that he, he, he enjoys them. I just don't think people believe that. So let's pick up where we left off this morning, okay? In 1 John 4, 19. So we love him because he first loved us. Now this is what I want you to think about. We can't be good at loving others if we're not good at being loved. You see, there's, a, there's a, 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 an art to being loved. To allowing someone to love you. You know how the scripture says at salvation that the Spirit of God is shed abroad or poured out into us, right? And so it's the Spirit of God, He's poured out into us. We become, we become these, the domicile of the Spirit of God is within us. All of that love is in God's children. And yet, you to explain to me, how is it, how is it possible? Ask yourself this. The, the church ought to be a place where you would literally drown in love. You, you literally drown. Because there's spirit-filled people. Like when you put 10 spirit-filled people in a room, you have more love in that room than, you know, if you're out in, you know, at the mall on Black Friday shopping. And yet, there's a lot of people that claim the name of Christ and they're not very loving. And they find it hard to love. Well, why is that? Because they, they're no good at being loved. They stink at being loved. Like you got you to gotta be an expert at being loved by God. And that's, that, that just seems so... Why do I even have to say that? But yet, here I am saying it. And why would, why would we resist that? Well, I can think of a thousand reasons. Because we're afraid. Because we've been wounded. Because we've been hurt. Because we feel vulnerable. Because we, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So we love Him because He first loved us. So by, by breathing in immense amounts of God's love for us, what can only happen is that it will begin to flow out of us into other people. You see, the love of God can't be bottled up inside of you. It can't be. It cannot be. So if it's not flowing out of you, it's because it's not in you. You're not letting it flow in. I mean, you grow up in the Bible Belt, you grew up your whole life, and you've always been taught that God is love. But do you, what does that mean? Do you, do you, 
Do you really believe that God likes you? Like, He likes you. You know, people uh, express their, their difficulty with prayer. Well, I can address most of that in, in just a couple minutes by simply saying, well, inevitably, part of the problem is that you, you're unaware of of the delight that God has when you come to Him. You see, you, you feel like you're bothering Him or you're an unwanted guest or you're a hindrance or you're just babbling on or that, you're, you know, that He's not listening or that He's... But if you knew that when you came to God that He was inclining His ear through the intercessory ministry of the Lord Jesus that's at the right hand of the Father in the throne room of heaven, do you, if you think if you had some harness of that you would struggle in prayer? Man, you'd be a praying fanatic. That's why we struggle. We're not sure God really wants to hear from us. We're not sure God really cares what we have to say and what's happening is we've allowed all of the things that have impacted us and and bewildered us and hurt us and wounded us and molded us and shaped us in the wrong directions to impact the way we relate to God as if he's a human as if he's a person as if he's your mom or your dad or your spouse or your he's not he's not he's not like he's not like any of us at all not even remotely. No, no, he's, he's infinitely more glorious than any person you'll ever meet or know. It's a whole different paradigm. And so salvation is not the forgiveness of sin and whew, got that taken care of. You know, like most people think of salvation like that, like, you know, like the cop just gave you a warning instead of a ticket, like, you know, like God just gave me a warning, like, okay, you know, I'm not going to burn in hell now. I got away. It's going to be okay. I live for another day. Just got to follow the speed limit now. No. I mean, salvation is is being submerged in an ocean of love. The Word of God is, is a, it's an ocean of God's love for His people. And listen, it's a very particular love. It's a, it's a particular, He loves you in particular. He loves you in particular. Like He loves us in a way, but He loves you. You, in a way that's particular. He just loves you. And you see, I can never love you like God loves you because I can never know you like God knows you. And quite frankly, I don't want to. (laughs) It would be horrible if we could read each other's minds. It would be horrible. But by the grace of God, we can't. But He can read our minds. He knows our thoughts and our intentions. He knows the things we didn't say and didn't do, but we thought about it, but He knows that. 
and yet he loves us. All right, so look at uh, this passage from Zephaniah chapter 3. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. So there's a lot of shouting and exalting and excitement about something. What is it? Well, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Well, praise God. And He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. That's shout-worthy, wouldn't you say? On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let your hands, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Zephaniah 3. So when you read a verse like that, see, see some of you, uh, some of you say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. I'm, I'm not sure what that verse is talking about. And then some of you are like, oh, I know what that verse is talking about. And the problem is both categories are going off the rails. In other words, maybe you don't know. And so rather than finding out and investing yourself in it, you just don't see the value in it or the worth in it or the, you know, so it would just seem foreign to you to say, well, why don't I just, you know, spend a day. Just spend a day in Zephaniah 3. Hours and hours, just, just like, not because you have to, because you get to. Like work your schedule around and figure out a way that you can like, weed things around and go, okay, here's two hours of time that I have blocked out. I'm going to turn my phone off. I mean, everybody's going to leave me alone. And I'm just going to sit here with Zephaniah 3, and I'm just going to bask in what God is saying. Does that sound crazy to you? And then some of you are like, well, wait a minute now. This is talking about God's love for Israel. And so you like cognitively get all jacked up and start thinking like, okay, so, you know, I don't know, dispensationally, if that relates to us. And then, okay, just hold on, just cool your jets. Slow down, breathe it in, think it through. Think about Romans 11. And if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. You know what that passage is talking about? It's talking about Gentiles and Israel and how we've been grafted in. And so what the New Testament wants us to do is wants us to see and understand that we are part of God's people now. And so when the Bible's talking about Jerusalem or Zion or Ephraim, that we should, be, we, we should clue into that and, and, and keen into that because we've been grafted in. This is what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 3. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. You see that? Members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Jesus Christ through the gospel. 
You see? And yes, if you spent time in Zephaniah 3, you'd, you'd discover wonderful things like, you know, this text is pointing forward to the millennial kingdom, which is wonderful and great. And there, some people like derail off the train again because they, in error, say, wait a minute now, that verse is talking about the millennial kingdom, so it doesn't apply to us. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're so wrong. Listen. What did I say in the very beginning? What, what are we trying to do here? Are we trying to discover things about us? No. What are we trying to do? Discover things about God. So if you were just sitting there for a couple hours in Zephaniah 3 thinking about all this, some things would begin to, the Spirit of God would begin to open up your mind to some, some realities and some truths. You'd begin to see that you can look at a text like this that's talking about the millennial kingdom and you can, you can understand. Now, now, if a text is talking about how God loves us in the millennial kingdom, when did God start loving us in that way? When you read prophetic texts about heaven, when does God start loving us in that way? Does God start to love us? Does God love us in a, in a, in a new way in the millennial kingdom, in a new way? No. God doesn't love us in a new way. He's going to love you then like He loves you now. He doesn't just start doing that when you get there. It's not like you die and God starts loving you. No. He loves you now. And what do we know about God? He's unchanging. He's unchanging. What, what changes about our relationship with God in eternity? Because clearly we all know that right now, today, in this moment, in this room, we, we don't enjoy the relationship right now in this room with God that we one day will in glory. We all know that, right? That's why glory is so amazing. It's so wonderful. Are we, are we together? We got that? Okay. So this is not that. Are we, we clear? Right? This is not that. That's different than this. We good? Okay, so here's my question for you. What changes? What changes between here and there? You do. God doesn't. You do. What changes is you. So if we're talking about God's love... It's unchanging. It's unchanging. So let's just, let's just, let's just take a little, we're, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just inviting you into my, my little couple hours with Zephaniah. You start thinking about things and God starts opening your mind. So, so how does this work? What about 
sin. You know how I mean? How does that work? So true or false? The heart of God is grieved by our sin. True or false? True. True. True or false? The opposite of love is not hate, but it's indifference. True. Very good. You've been listening. Hate is not the opposite of love. Indifference is the opposite of love. So God's heart is grieved by our sin. True. The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. True. So the fact that God is grieved by our sin doesn't nullify God's love for us. It proves it. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't care. If he's grieved over your sin, then he must love you. You see? So the very the, the, the issue that oftentimes puts distance between us and God or, or hinders our ability to be able to receive the love of God, the very thing is the very proof that he loves you. It's one of the ways that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves you. And here's the crazy thing is that all of us in our mind, we know, we totally get the fact that we, we, if we have children, that we discipline them because we love them. Because what would be the most unloving thing to do is to just let them act like a wild banshee and not do anything about it, right? We all get that. But somehow we lose that, under, that simple understanding when we apply it to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We can read in the scripture that God chastens those whom he loves. But somehow when we're chastened, we, we can convince ourselves that it's, it's, a, it's a result of God's anger towards us and his wrath towards us. and his, No, no, listen. <laughs> oh, that is a very foolish understanding of the wrath of God. Let me just clarify once and for all something about the wrath of God. If you ever experienced the tiniest conceivable possible hint of the wrath of God, you would absolutely positively know what it was beyond a shadow of a doubt. Nobody under the wrath of God is wondering, what is this? Trust me. Nobody. So when you feel the chastisement of the, of the love of your Father upon you, it is, the, it is the overwhelming evidence and reassurance of the fact that He loves you. He loves you. Jeremiah chapter 31. But now thus says the Lord. Well, hold on. There. Is Ephraim? Who's Ephraim? Israel. Is Ephraim my dear son? Question mark. 
Is he my darling child? Question mark. Now get this. For as often as I speak against him. You know what that means in God language? As often as I notice, he needs a butt whipping. That's what that means in the Hebrew. I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. You see? Do you see how apples and oranges exist right there? You see that? See, God never makes fruit salad. There's one verse right there. You have apples, you have oranges, and God keeps everything in the right place in the cart. He says, you know what? I notice a lot of times you need a butt whipping. But boy, my heart yearns for you. Because I love you. So in Zephaniah 3.17, when it says the Lord God is in your midst. Well, like God means that. He means that. Like he's in your midst. He's not. It's, it's not some metaphoric, you know, mythological, mysterious. No, no, like he, mm, he's in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Mm. So it's been my observation that most of us spend way too much time believing that God's mad at us or upset with us or unpleased with us. And it, it, this conversation brings out all of the dysfunction in us and, and, the, and the brokenness in our heart. Because here's what happens. What happens is if you begin to embrace God's love for you, like if, if you breathe in the way God loves you, if you, if you allow Him to love you so that you begin to love other people, uh, there's inevitably going to be some people around you that aren't going to like that very much. Why? Because when you begin to walk in the freedom and the bliss and the joy of who you are in Christ, other people who have grown accustomed to being able to manipulate and control you will no longer be able to do so. You see, they can no longer guilt trip me into doing what they want me to do. They can no longer shame me into behaving the way they want me to behave. Sometimes you're married to that person. And it can be really difficult. Sometimes... Somebody hears what I'm saying to you tonight and they begin to walk in this and their spouse doesn't like it at all. And their spouse begins to think that they're 
arrogant or oblivious or living in some fantasy land. And they don't like it. Because, they're, because there's been this dysfunctional current that has flown through the relationship for so long where the way that they get you to behave, the way they modify your behavior, is simply by using manipulation and guilt. And that won't work on somebody who knows who they are in Christ. You see, if I know that I am the apple of my Heavenly Father's eye and that I don't have to perform to please Him, You don't have any power over me. And you won't like that a lot of times. Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord. He who created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you, I've called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Remember, he said, the Lord God is in your midst. He said, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as your ransom, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I just don't believe that there's a whole lot of people walking around who absolutely, truly believe the Scripture. Believe that that's the truth. Like God says, because you're precious in my eyes. <laughs> I'm honored and I love you. You see, if, if the Bible is telling me something about God, then the context is, in most cases, irrelevant. You understand that? Which you would never hear me say that, except for in this scenario. If the Bible is teaching you something about God, then it it's true about God, and it's always been true, and it always will be true about God, because He doesn't change. Now, if the Bible's telling you something about you, and something about me, and something about us, you better know everything about what's going on in the passage, because you're never going to figure out how to apply that to your life, apart from correct contextualization. But God, on the other hand, is different. He doesn't change. He doesn't have good days. He doesn't have bad days. He doesn't waver. He's not up and down. If He loves you now, He'll always love you. 
If you belong to him, you'll always belong to him. It can't be any other way. So look at this verse in John chapter 14, because I, I want us to I want you to have all sorts of context. Old Testament, New Testament. John 14. This is a famous chapter in the book of John. This is Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 14, 21. This is what Jesus says. Now let's, let's just look at this very carefully. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, did that feel a little legalistic to you? Did it feel a little works-oriented to you? So, so it shouldn't? Were you paying attention? He who has my commandments and keeps them. You see, understand something that Jesus said, he who loves me keeps my commandments. Because you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying that if you don't love me, you can't keep my commandments. The only way, the only hope you have to keep my commandments is to love me. The only thing that can motivate, the only thing that can create in you a desire to keep my commandments is love me. Have a relationship with me. Outside of that, there's no hope. You can't do it. Because we've already established what? That in order for you to love other people, you've got to be loved by Him. Don't you see how all of this just fits together? Just follow the thread of love and just fit it all together. So here's Jesus. He says, now, if you have my commandments and you keep them, so you're a person who's been breathing in the love of God, and so you're able to love other people, so you can actually do things according to Scripture the way they're intended to be done. Do I need to explain that? Or are we... Because I feel like somebody just, you know, saw a squirrel and there we went. What just happened? I mean, is God, God doesn't want robots. He's not interested in you on the way home, listening to the radio. They said something about Valentine's Day. You went, it's Valentine's Day. You run into CVS, get some raggedy flowers because they're the only thing left. Come home. And God's not like your wife when you walk in with them raggedy two little flowers because you just thought of it on the way home and go, look, honey, happy Valentine's Day. Like, that's not what God's interested in. He doesn't want that. He, he's not interested in your... That's not the kind of obedience God wants. God wants a relationship with you so that when you wake up in the morning, you know that when you're loved by Him, every day is Valentine's Day. You can't believe that you get to love Him and that you'd be loved by Him. Like you're walking around every day going, is this happening? It's like when I met Lisa, I'm just pinching myself going, is she blind? Is this, like what's happening? Like I know I'm out of my league here, but... I'm going to ask, and if you say yes, like, wow, yeah, that's nothing compared to God. It's like 
every moment of every day, you're like, I get to know God. God's in my midst. When God, when God shows me something, when he, when he talks to you and shows you things, like, are you like, that just happened. Like, God just showed me something. Like you're sitting there in a sermon and then you hear like the Spirit of God, you know God's dealing with you on some issue at some level and you're just like, that just happened. Like the God of the universe just worked in you. Right there. That just happened. Wow. That is amazing. That's what I'm talking about. So we're not just... You cannot keep God's commands without being filled with His love because it won't work. You can't do that. You can't wake up every morning and go, Oh my goodness, I get to love God. You can, the only way you can do that is you got to be loved by Him. Okay, so now you're with me. All right, squirrel's gone. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Mm. So we're just going to compound the love. We're just going to... He's going to pour the love on. And I will love him. And then notice what Jesus says. Very interesting. I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will express my love to him in a very specific way. And what is that way? I will manifest myself to him. I will I will show him God been showing you things lately What's God showing you What's he showing you Like what When was the last time God did something in your life? Not where you wondered was that God, like where you knew that was God. He's manifesting himself in your life because he loves you and he wants you to know that. And so the more that you are loved by him, the more he will manifest himself. He will, it's a continual process of him manifesting himself in your life. So you become sensitive to things. And like you start to, you start to feel things and know things that you can't explain. See, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm talking to my wife and I just... I just say, God doesn't like that. Because I just know he doesn't like that. Or I go, God, God likes that. He really likes that. Because I just know. I just can tell. And it's not obvious things. It's just random things that... Only way I can know that is because God just shows it to me. I mean, I don't even know how to explain it to you. I'm just telling you that's what happens. And it happens all the time. It happens in here all the time. It's just God manifesting himself and saying, 
He, he just, he loves. This morning he was showing people in here. He was saying, you know what? I love you. I love you. And I could see it on their faces. And he's saying, I love you. And you know, all this time you thought that I didn't love you because of what hurt you. But I love you. And I want you to know that See, I have a rule. This is sort of going to let you in a little bit. I don't tell my wife everything. I don't mean that I keep secrets from her. I mean that I protect her. So when I come home and I've had a bad day, and she can look at my face and tell that I've had a bad day, some of you in here that know my wife, here's what you know about her. If you know her, you know that there's times that you'll go up to her and you'll say, gosh, you know, I, I hate that, you know, that Tony had to deal with that or this or that. And she'll go, I don't know what you're talking about. It's all by design. See, I don't think it's healthy to, uh, I, I think that it's horribly unhealthy how, I'm not going to say some of you, I'm going to say how people, like just talk about all these kinds of things in front of their kids, like horribly unhealthy, horribly unhealthy. Your kids should not, don't, they don't need to know everything. You know why? Because kids are, they're, they're not, they're, they're the reason they're children. Like, do you know that if God wanted them to, like, I know we're out of time, so I don't have time for the whole entire, this is how the world works, but there's a reason they're born little and then they grow bigger. God could have had us born adults. You know, he could have done that. Now, he probably would have had to come up with a new birth way, but he could have done that too. But, but the point is, there's a reason we're small and then we get bigger. You know why? Because it's God's way of saying that when they're this big, they can handle these things. When they're this big, they can handle these. And so on it goes. And people who talk about things that are grown-up things in front of children have a problem. That's a problem. That is a problem. You should not do that. And I don't think a man ought to go home and drag his wife into everything. I think you ought to protect her. My job is to, you know what? I have a job. And part of my job is, it's hard. But I don't want my wife to walk through every trench that I got to walk through. She's a person that I confide in, that I can talk to about things. But not everything. Because that's not fair to her. You know why? Because I don't want her to be worrying about things that she doesn't need to be worrying about. Now, do you understand that? That's how God is. I didn't make that up. You know how I learned that? I learned that from God. You know, because that's how God loves me. This is how this works. You see, when I say to God, God, I'm wounded. 
I'm broken. I'm hurt. I don't understand this. It's a mystery to me. Why, did, why would you allow this to happen? Why did, you, why did you bring this into my life? What's going on? I don't get this. How could this possibly be good? God leans over and he whispers in my ear and he says, you know what, Tony? That's not for you to worry about. You know, it would be unloving if God started explaining everything to you that you want to know. It would destroy you. It would, you can't handle it. You, you know the movie, you can't handle the truth? That's God saying, you can't handle the truth. This is all the truth you can handle. If you could handle more, it would have gave you more. Doesn't, doesn't, isn't there a verse in here that says that if all the things about God were recorded, the world couldn't contain the pages, the books? Well, I wonder why we didn't get all that. Because we can't handle that. You don't need to know. He's got it. It's okay. He loves you. And one of the ways He protects you is by only giving you the things that you need to know, to handle, to understand, to So I'll give you an illustration. I'll make it anonymous. Even though there's people in the room that know what I'm talking about. So this morning I'm preaching. And there's a moment in the sermon where I said, now I know some of you are, are angry at me right now. You don't like what I'm saying. You are leering at me with Fury because God sent the worm and the wind. And you only want to hear about the vine. And I could see it in your faces. I could feel it in my spirit. And I knew that the reason for the anger was the hurt in your heart and the bewilderment because of things that have happened to you that have wounded you and hurt you. And it's, it's, it's not me, but you're just angry because I'm the one that is speaking this truth to you. And so I could see a few faces in here in particular that God was drilling down into some wounds. So after the service, I'm standing out there. And, and by the way, Did you feel the presence of God in this room this morning? I mean, God was in this place and among us in a very tangible, powerful way. And so after the service, I'm standing out in the foyer and a lady comes out to me and her eyes are all watery and red. And she said, hey, I want to tell you something. And I said, yeah. And she said, I, I was mad at you. I said, I know. She said, I was really, really mad. I said, yeah. She said, you know, my daughter died. I said, 
Really? I wasn't aware of that. She said, yeah. I think she was 13. She died, something like that. And she said, when you were up there talking, I was just seething with anger, saying, I wish, wish he would just shut up. Why is he saying that? How could that possibly, how could God let my daughter die? How could he do that? What kind of a God would do that? That's not uncomfortable grace. It was all I could do not to get up and walk out, but I sat there. And so during the invitation, she said, I put my head down. I was just saying, God, you got to help me. You got to help me. I don't know what to do. I don't get this. I can't. I mean, I'm, I'm just... Uh, now, where do I, how do I, how do I move forward? And she said, I'm just sitting there and, you know, and tears are running down my face and I see something like sparkling in front of me. And she said, she looked and she said, you know, in the back of the pew, the little round thing where the, you put your cup, your communion cup, that little round hole. She said there was some sparkly thing in there. And she said, so I took my finger and I started digging around in there trying to figure out what that is. And she said, this came out. And she had a ring in her hand. And I said, huh. And she said, do you see this ring? And I said, yes. And she said, do you see how there's two stones that alternate? There's two different color stones and they alternate one, then the other, then the other, back and forth, back and forth, back all the way around in a, in a perfect circle. She said, do you see this stone right here? And I said, yes. And she said, that's my birthstone. She said, do you see this other stone right here? I said, yes. She said, that's my daughter's birthstone. And I said, hmm. And she said, it was like I picked this ring up and I looked at it and I realized I still don't understand, but I know God loves me and I know that it's going to be okay. And then she said, here, I guess I should give you this for the lost and found. I said, no. I don't think that ring belongs to anybody else. I think that ring is for you. And so she took the ring and it fit perfectly on her finger as if it was made for it. God loves you. And he'll manifest himself in your life to show you how much he loves you because he wants you to know you know that mom went home today she didn't have any she had zero answers she had the same compartment of information she had when she walked into church this morning. But she left with a completely different outlook. 
That's what happens when we realize how God loves us.